0: As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly
1: Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was gonna spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit,
2: spits him out, comes out after the spit, gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit.
0: We're just spitballing, right? Yeah,
2: never know,
0: Yeah guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Good morning. It is early on a Wednesday, October 28th, and uh, and yeah, yeah, a guy. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think you're wait, Scott I can...
1: Bass. I'm David Lee Scales. Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, let me, uh, hold on, let me get some of this coffee in me.
1: You look like um, like a seaman.
0: RBR! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, hoist the main! Um, David Lee Scales... And Scott Bass with you. Good morning, David.
1: Good morning. All right. Doesn't it feel nice to have your winter clothing out?
0: It's so funny. My office doesn't have any insulation, so it's either 50 degrees or 90 degrees.
1: It's it's closer to 50 today, for sure. Yeah. This morning Uh, it is. Honestly, though, isn't it nice? This nice change in weather.
0: Yes, absolutely. It is nice, and I'm a big fan
1: people uh, around the world listening are probably unaware that you and I don't really get seasons. We kind of have one extended summer that goes for about 10 months and then maybe two months out of the year, we get a little cool weather, but we don't, the trees don't change, leaves on the trees don't change color, don't get snow, none of that. Uh, So this is a delight for us. Just to have the temperature drop below 60 degrees is actually a joy.
0: Yeah. No, you nailed it. Um, we don't see much change here. So when we do see change, it's a big deal. Like, like the uh, local news will lead with, you know, raindrops, look outside. You know, whenever there's rain, it's the lead news.
1: Totally. <laughs> do you remember that film um, from the early 90s with Steve Martin? It was called L.A. Story?
0: Vaguely, yeah. I don't know if I've witnessed it or saw it, but I, I do remember the title.
1: Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker was in it. Um, but he plays a weatherman in LA and he records all of his segments like weeks in advance. Cause it's <laughs> always like 78 degrees. You know? <laughs> he just gained, game gang- t- tapes two two weeks of episodes and then goes out of town for a while. <laughs> and they're always yeah. the same. That is
0: classic.
1: I mean, it's I true. Love it. yeah. It's totally true. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. I
0: look at the weather. Obviously I look at the weather every morning. Um, You know on the local news to kind of just to kind of like synchronize what i think is happening because i do a surf report every morning and every afternoon here in san diego and uh, and it's very it's always pretty much the same i mean it must be a tough gig to be it must be boring you know
1: look long ago i don't know about elsewhere in the world but in la and orange county long ago meteorologists stopped being the weather forecasters on the news yeah it shifted into basically um it's like fox
0: barbies low low,
1: low grade models that changed their name to dallas rains to johnny mountain i'm not even making those up those are legitimate uh newscaster sports, not sports weathercasters names oh my gosh i don't think they even have a degree in meteorology or whatever it is I I do think here in San Diego, there's a couple that are pretty
0: smart and and have like meteorological degrees. You know, you can tell the ones that are like know what they're talking about versus the ones that are like reading off a teleprompter.
1: So apparently you don't really need that degree if you're going to become the most famous and the most sought after market. What degree do you need to be a surf forecaster?
0: This is such a great segue and a great question. <laughs> to be a surf forecaster, you uh you don't need a degree in much. <laughs> but what you what might be required is, you know, 37 years of of scouring the ocean and looking for the best possible waves and trying to decipher where those waves might occur. So, I've done I've got I've received most of my training under Mark sponsor at Storm Surf, and I've learned quite a few things from the people at Surfline as well, and um, and frankly the various weather news, weather people that are are smart. So I've just kind of gleaned information. I am sincerely interested in how the weather works. So um, so it's it's all good, and it's actually kind of a segue into one of my topics, but maybe you have something else to lead us with.
1: Uh, well, no, we'll go to that, but before we do, I'll just ask you more about yeah. surf forecasting. Um, what, and I'm not downplaying or diminishing your role, I'm actually asking, what um, insights are you adding? Because I'm sure you could probably go on to Surfline and read kind of what Surfline's report is and deliver it as your own, but yeah. what, are, what are you adding to the, what insights are you adding?
0: Well obviously there's local conditions that are probably um, the most important from from something that's different than surfline, which is pretty southern california centric and generalized yeah. so here in here in san diego obviously the coast bends in a different way than it would another like where you're at right so um, there's certain angles of degree that will reach certain beaches the obvious one is um, south-facing beaches generally start right around Lacadia and, and start to bend south facing up towards where you live. So you know 180 degree swell is going to get in in Oceanside and in San Onofre. By the way, Lower Trestles is in San Diego County. That's sort of a side note, just um, but so anyway, South Swell. There's a couple of South Swell spots that I that are known to be south swell spots that I won't even really bring up, which, so it's almost like what some of the stuff that I don't say, you know, I'll say the obvious stuff, but in many ways, it's kind of like I was speaking with Ross Garrett on a podcast last year about, you know, the cam network that they have on Surfline, And, you know, where is it okay to put a cam and where isn't it okay to put a cam? And his thing was like, generally, if the masses of the surfers know about a surf spot and it's, and it's, you know, um, widely used and there's a public parking area there. We're okay with putting a camera there because it helps the surfers that use the space. You know, it's a resource for them. And so that's kind of the, I kind of go along those lines. And so there are some little nooks and crannies that receive South swell here in San Diego, which I simply won't bring up out of respect to the guys that know and have done the, you know, done the homework. Um, so it's it's to answer your question, um, and there's also Southwind locations, you know that yeah. are widely known. There's just basically one Southwind location that's widely known, but I I ne- I don't necessarily. I, I won't mention it, <laughs> you know what I mean. Even yeah. though it kind of falls into the surf line, hey, everyone knows about this. Why not just say it? But um, for a long time, it was an it was a nook, you know, at least
1: through the '80s that a lot of people didn't know about it's funny you uh walk a very fine line wanting to like be insightful and helpful and give people information but also not overpopulate spots with kooks how do you provide general information but not focus them in on the smoking deal you know
0: yeah i you know i'll generally say hey that's south wind so the south wind protected spots could be good right you know and it's like Okay, well, what are those, Scott? You know, and it's like, well, if you don't know, you got to go figure it out like we all did. And it's, again, it's not a major, some sort of like coup that I'm, you know, that 90% of the surfers know about it. But, um, you know, so I basically just give a general broad overreach, but I do, you know, suggest, you know, like, for instance, there's some super steep, northwest swell that's or northerly swell that's supposed to be in the water next week. There's some spots in San Diego that will pick that up and they're very few. And basically they're in the South County. San Diego's easy because it's basically like a big curve. So the South County gets the extreme north swell and the north county gets the extreme south swell. And and from there on, you know, like that's enough information for you to go find some fun waves.
1: Uh I was talking to Devin Howard last week and kind of mainly about that longboard event. But one thing that he touched on that was an epiphany for me, because it really could be a theme for everything that we talk about is just the hypocrisy embedded in all of us for all of surf related things. It goes hand in hand with surfers are the worst. Yes. But it's so true right now, as you're talking, you're giving all these insights. It's like, yes, give me your insights, but don't give them to anyone else. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like I want to hear you tell me where to go surf and where it's going to be best, but I'll be pissed if there's more than 30 people there because of you. And then I'll be pissed at you and hold it against you. But I still want you to do your research and I still want you to give it to me. Just don't give it to those other people.
0: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There is a little bit of vomit in my mouth right now as we discuss this because it does really speak to – this extremely selfish, the extremely selfish nature of, of surfing. It's extremely selfish. And I think you might be able to help me with this, but um, Yvonne Chouinard said it really well, and it was something along the lines of, there's no societal good that comes from riding waves. Like nothing, There's no benefit to the general populace. Um, and in fact, it can be argued that there's negative impact in, in the way that we behave towards each other because of our selfishness. Um, you know, it might not be a negative impact that you can put on a spreadsheet and go, look, we lost X amount of economic fiscal stimulus because of this. It's more of a social interaction um, tone and vibe that is set up that creates this like sneering, snickering, surfers are the worst thing. Yeah.
1: I think that hypocrisy is true in everybody. uh, But I don't know if you're doing more public and more social things, there's more people to hold you accountable and to call you out or to even identify the hypocrisy in surfing. It's kind of an insular thing and we can have those hypocrisies quietly and nobody knows about them. And so you can just kind of live with them and get away with them.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, And it's, it's so accepted, right? The hypocrisy is so accepted that it's just, it's, God, it's a fascinating thing, but um, it truly speaks to surfers are the worst. Some people think that that's kind of a parody, but I I sincerely think that surfers are some of the worst people. And I include myself in that, in, in,
1: based on this
0: thing that you bring up, we are
1: selfish assholes. I'm not, I'm not actually entirely convinced it is that those are bad things, I guess, in the end of the day. Like, even your Yvonne Chenard concept, by virtue of me making myself happy, I may actually quell that most base instinct the hunter gatherer yeah. thing that wants to just uh, dominate. I think maybe if I just uh, pursue it in this one area that is surfing, I yeah. can actually quell it and then I come out of the water and it turns out I could be sympathetic at the coffee shop and with my, you know, most intimate relationships in my life and all that sort of stuff. Whereas if you never get it out of your system, you just kind of go around bottled up with rage.
0: Yeah, that's, that's almost like a deep specific internal thing t- to the individual though, like yeah. There's other ways to, as you know, like you're a runner, you know, that helps to alleviate some of that. The hunter-gatherer thing you brought up is interesting. As you know from that book, Sapiens, that we both read, um, that author talks about the hunter-gatherer and the fact that when he was hunting and gathering, when we as as the human sapien uh, species were hunting and gathering, if another tribe of hunter and gatherers came to our little field and threatened us and were like, hey, this is my field or whatever, we would just, we wouldn't stand there and puff our chests and go, oh yeah? We would just move along because the resource were everywhere. Yeah. There was no need for hunter gatherers to get into fights and they didn't and it's kind of a fascinating thing. That only started to take place when we got into at the agricultural um, system, right? Staying in one little plot of land and farming right? and, and so we as surfers can't do that. As hunter-gatherer surfers, we can't move on. Like, I mean, we could and we probably should, but generally we're like, well, I'm at spot X where the waves are best and I'm not going to go down to spot Z where it's not quite as good because let's, you know, so might not well, be the greatest analogy.
1: but No, it is though because currently as surfers, we're dealing with a finite resource. Exactly. If, we pad- if we paddle out, there's only a certain number of waves that are going to come through and some are better than others and everybody wants them.
0: And some will point to John Severson in that very first issue of Surfer Magazine where the general theme was, go out and find your perfect wave, as opposed to, hey, all waves are perfect. Doesn't matter. Like, it's amazing. Sam George argues that if John Severson would have changed that sentence, we would be different as a a culture. If he would have just said, hey, every single wave is super perfect. It doesn't matter if it's blown out or crappy or whatever go have fun on your wave wherever it might be, you know, (laughs) but instead he put, he set up this, um, I'm looking for, he set up like a paradigm, but there's a better word for it where basically if you don't go get the perfect wave, you're not quite the surfer that you should be.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to think about, uh, Sam George, I think, came from an era where surfer magazine was the bible and there's a lot of people now who don't have that reference point and want to put that much weight on it but mickey munoz, Well that references
0: another one of my stories but go ahead yeah i agree i was going to go to mickey munoz here too so go ahead
1: yeah mickey munoz thing is there's no bad waves yeah. it's all about the equipment that you're that you're on at the time so yeah if you're writing if everybody's riding the same type of board then everybody's going to want the same type of wave but if you're open to a hand plane and a body board and everything in between that and a you know glider then you can find tremendous diversity in waves you could be surfing in a lake yeah and i I would say the
0: the hand plane the idea of body surfing is one that more of us should and myself included should wrap ourselves around and i've got a good friend of mine that's totally involved in that like he's a really good surfer, but he's like, you know what? I got 20 minutes and I can go get, be super stoked and get a bunch of fun little womp waves where, you know, at spot X or wherever and um, and be good and feel good about it and feel like I went surfing that day. And Oh, by the way, that it's not even worth riding a longboard. It's so yeah. bad, but it's super fun for, for getting in the water on a
1: hand plane. It, it's that is the best advice you can give anybody is open your mind to body surfing and not just, I kind of reserved body surfing for probably two decades of my life to warm water. It was like, oh, if I could put trunks on and just jump out there, then great. But I didn't want to have to suit up in a 4-3 and booties in the middle of winter and go do it. Yeah. But if the alternative is just driving back home and not even getting out of the car, the better, the better choice is to suit up and go get a couple body surf waves. And, and I'll throw some equipment in between that too, which I've been
0: pondering. And that's the Pipo. And there's a crew of guys, um, Rust, uh, Rust, uh, Ronnie Filippi, and I think his brother Rusty probably does it too, but I know Ronnie does it. And th- and they have these cool little pipos that are sort of in between, you know, a surfboard and a hand plane. And they'll just score a ton. You can tell they're having a good time. They got big smiles on their faces and they're catching tons of waves. And they're like standing in waist deep water on beautiful blue turquoise, a day like today, where there's just some two to three footers, but there's these, And little peeling little peaks and they're having
1: a heck of a good time and um, so a pipo for those who don't know or are googling right now it's basically a bodyboard shape but are the ones that they're writing made out of wood the ones
0: that they're writing they've sort of gotten into it so i think they're making custom ones ronnie um works with rob machado and is like sort of like his uh uh you know he works he works the custom side of rob's boards. so i think ronnie probably made or had somebody make him and it's just a very simple design. Like that's the thing. You don't. You, they're basically McDonald's trays with foam yeah. and fiberglass and some cool paint on them.
1: So you know, those are actually foam and fiberglass. Yeah. Okay.
0: I believe the they are. But there's them. some cool wood ones. Like John Wagner makes some. Like any. Like any listeners could just go and cut a piece of fiberglass and make sure you sand it so you don't get all beat up and and be
1: good. Traditionally, they're wood. They look like a bodyboard. but they're. Did super, I say fiberglass? I meant yeah. plywood. Plywood, yeah. sorry. Traditionally, they are, and they're just super thin, and there's not contours or anything like that, maybe like um, curved edges, so you're, yeah, like you said, your hands aren't getting cut up, but yeah, yeah, yeah they float. Well, let me, um,
0: let me lead in with some things. First of all, um, I guess I want to say tip of the cap to the folks at Surfline, and this sort of speaks of our hypocrisy a little bit not on their end, but on my end. Um, but the last few days, there's been this massive storm that I think Hurricane Epsilon turned into a big storm and sort of regenerated and is sending waves to Europe. So I've watched incredible surf spots, classic surf spots in Spain, um, all up and down Europe. You've been able to, to pick apart cams and look at these waves. Um, also in Australia, um, DY, again, I watched DY Point yesterday and yes, there are still vulnerable adult learners at DY. There was even guys on goat boats out no there. And, and the, the best surfer I saw at DY yesterday as I watched it was a kneeboarder. He was dominating. And then um, in Indonesia, I saw great waves this week. and of course, right now, as we speak, Nazare is receiving 25 30 foot waves and there's tow teams out there and it's the middle of the day in Europe as we speak and it's sheet glass blue beautiful off light offshore wind so tip of the cap to the Surfline cam network for providing some fun eye candy um last week
1: um i wonder what the covid restrictions are between countries like for professional big wave surfers in spain can they get over to portugal
0: well, it's funny, you know, I read that big wave piece on Surfline about that. And there's definitely restrictions. Each and every com- country obviously has their own little protocols. And um, so I don't know the exact, you know, uh, protocol for Spain and Portugal. But um, I, I do believe most, most people, are. if you do travel, it's, it's obviously way more difficult.
1: I saw Chris Christensen's Instagram about wishing Greg Long well, and I think Tom Lowe and somebody up, maybe Ian Walsh was going as well. Um, so Ian would have been traveling from Hawaii, Greg from California and Tom Lowe, I would presume is traveling from In- or Ireland uh, to Nazareth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like they were all going as a crew. They're all guys that ride Christensen's boards. Um, yeah, so it's people, weird. people are making it happen, making it work. Maybe just, you know, there's increased protocols, but
0: well, there was a South African big wave surfer that was part of that surfline story, and he was like, "Yeah, look, I can go, uh, you know, to Nazare, or I can go to the United States. I can go to Hawaii. I just might not be able to get back into South Africa. Right. My country right. is not allowing people from." certain countries to come into our country and the U S is one of those countries.
1: Yeah. You know, that's um, it changes every day. Like you would have to certainly be diligent about researching it for yourself. I wouldn't rely on the internet's research if I was going to go travel somewhere. Um, but it changes every day as well. Exactly. exactly. And so you could find yourself, yeah, you go, feeling like you've met all the protocols when you exit your country, but by the time you try to return to it a week later, the protocols might've changed. There could be some huge spike where you're at and your country doesn't want to let you back. Um, The other thing is because of COVID, first of all, big wave surfers aren't exactly the most well compensated of the surfing world. The guys who actually do make a good enough living to do it professionally are very, very few. So, for everybody else, they're kind of funding it from their day jobs and due to COVID sponsorship dollars have dried up and then day jobs have probably largely dried up too. So there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be less pro surfers all around the world, but there's going to be less big wave surfers I would say than there are even, you know, competitive short borders or whatever else.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And um, this the Surfline article kind of touches on that, that, everybody's sort of just hunkered down at their home spot yeah. be it you know California or Hawaii or Ireland speaking of Tom Lowe which is probably getting huge waves right now um, or you know Europe or wherever it is you know you're or like for Grant Twiggy Baker South Africa unless some of those people already relocated you know I know Jamie Mitchell well, I think he lives in Hawaii but Anyway, these big wave surfers are at their spot, and they're probably not planning to go anywhere just because, as you mentioned, they can't. So the big wave season, um, it's unique, as is the entire situation for all of us, but specifically to those guys who would normally be watching these purple blobs and go you know and at a moment's notice, grabbing a suitcase and a board bag and being on a flight and be there that evening or whatever, that's simply not happening.
1: No, it really isn't. Um so did you follow the tom butler story
0: uh no i didn't
1: so tom butler is a big wave surfer and he went to instagram he gave like a long i'll just read you kind of two paragraphs out of it but a lot of it is what we're talking about him basically i think he's 31 and saying look i could do this through my mid-20s and i was passionate to do it and just to for not even worry about the debt that i was incurring or the relationships that I was pushing to the wayside so that I could focus on this thing. But there was always this dangling kind of carrot of um, financial compensation, potentially. There were big wave awards. There were sponsorships to be had. And he said, ultimately, I'm retiring. He goes, all of that was a farce. And maybe I was the one at fault for even believing it because there's not a lot of evidence that people actually ever got that carrot. But the part that I'll read to you, he says, quote, take last year's Nazare Challenge. Sorry, can you hear me? It says internet connection unstable.
0: Um, I can hear you. You were you were um, Your image was static, but I was hearing you fine.
1: Okay. He said, quote, take last year's Nazare Challenge. Event staff completely pulled the wool over the athlete's eyes. They said, this is year zero, let's work together and build this event into something huge and profitable for all. Then to have Red Bull as a headline sponsor and to keep it quiet until the competition day, collecting my rash fest from the Red Bull counter but not being paid an appearance fee, that reflects the company's financial status Uh, doesn't sit right with me, and when you have so much on the line, and he's talking about the so much on the line, he teed up the previous paragraph by saying he's putting his life on the line to go do this thing. So now he's saying to have, not even be told that Red Bull's going to be the main sponsor. So the WSL is collecting Red Bull's money to hold this event. These surfers are showing up just thinking it's a WSL event. They're saying, let's start, it's year zero. Let's work together long-term. We'll all benefit from this. And then shows up on competition day And it's a Red Bull booth and he's getting the jersey going, wait, wait, what? I'm training, putting my life on the line. And at the last second, you're letting me know that you guys are getting paid and we're not. He goes on to say, when you have the the contest director apologize to all surfers after the event saying, sorry for the way the webcast and post-event coverage came out, you know you're in a shitty political event.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, couple things I I think you could have seen the writing on the wall prior to boarding the plane like you know it's just it's just a it's just a bummer for everyone involved right um you know like nobody's forcing you to do this you know from one from one side of the equation you know I'm not saying I don't feel sorry for or I don't understand you know I know these guys are going for it but it barely exists this thing called the big wave professional surfer. I would argue that it doesn't exist except for maybe two people. Um, And so you kind of get what you get, you know, and yeah, I guess you can complain about it. But first of all, one doesn't surprise me at all. Like this isn't like some shock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Two, like I said, you know, there's other professions, you know. Three, if you love riding big waves, go ride big waves, you know, like, and four, if you love riding big waves, but you'd like to make a living at it as well, you know, odds are against you. And I know that Tom Butler knows this going in. And again, I'm not here to knock Tom Butler or any big wave surfer, but it's a tenuous situation going into it, you know? So, yeah, um, I do understand his frustration and the WSL, I mean, really what you need to do is you need to go, hey, look, let's be transparent. How much did you get from Red Bull? How much does it cost to, for the WSL to pull this thing off? Oh, you're losing 1000 bucks. I get it now, thanks. So there's a lack of transparency here that's probably most frustrating for Tom Butler and the big wave surfers. They're like, hey, you know, like, you know, if there's a thousand bucks left over after operating expenses, give us each 10 bucks and we're good. I get it. You know, but I think it's the transparency factor, or lack thereof. That's most frustrating for Tom.
1: I have a feeling that's it too. And because he was obviously willing to do it without a presenting sponsor and without an appearance fee and all that, that's why he traveled all the way there and was willing to paddle out. Um, But it is kind of a distraction. If you can't trust the organization it is a distraction. And as you're paddling out and you're processing all of that, uh, confusion or frustration or whatever, it's certainly going to affect your performance. But to that point, and to your point is, look, if you're not there to ride the biggest wave in the world, and that's your sole purpose, then maybe, you know, maybe you shouldn't be there, or maybe you should focus on uh, some other line of work and then just do this as a hobby. Because, uh, Ultimately, that's all that matters at the end of the day, and it shouldn't ever come down to the paycheck. But the other detail is there seems to be... And I'll actually make an argument for the WSL as well. It could have been down to the wire for the WSL. Maybe the WSL was funding it out of their own pocket up until the last moment when negotiations with Red Bull came together, and they were just like, oh, thank God we're getting a bailout and that we're actually going to have a presenting sponsor. So because... From all reports, WSL loses money year in and year out. But the other detail is the transparency. This is a pattern. You know, one of the complaints last week from a listener who did watch the Cuervo Surf Ranch Classic, the longboard event, they said this was billed as... Sorry, I
0: have to laugh every time you say the name of that event. I feel like look, not, the sponsors, not because of the name, just because of the way that they presented it was funny. If,
1: if the sponsors are going to pay the money, I feel like we have to say their name. I'm the totally title. okay
0: with that. It's more about the end package that made me laugh.
1: Yeah, but if w- that complaint last week from the listener was this was billed as a live event, so I woke up in the middle of the night and I watched the event and then was like, oh my, it's not live at all. It's 45 minute package designed for Fox. I wouldn't have woken up in the middle of the night. If I knew that's all it was, I would have waited until tomorrow. And so I can see this pattern emerging of whether it's intentional um, obfuscation just to get everybody involved and then show the bait and switch at the last second. Or it could just be that these things are so um, poorly organized that they come together at the last minute. Both, Either one could be true. I don't know. But it is a pattern now.
0: Well my gut is that it's the the latter that there's just sort of um you know they're kind of ham and egg in it and sometimes when you do that the eggs are overcooked and the ham is actually you know turkey sausage.
1: I've never and, heard that analogy before, the ham and ham and egg in it?
0: Yeah, ham and egg in it, you know, like just Good kind to of, know. Yeah, ham and egg. So um yeah, You know, I don't, I don't think there's, uh, I don't think there's like intentional malice to, to, uh, you know, rip off anybody or do something without it and try to pull the wool over someone's eyes. I just think it's, you know, it's funny. I, I interviewed Chris Morrow and he, he used to work there and he, and by the way, you know, with, it, it, you know, he, we kind of ripped the WSL or he did and, and we didn't offer the WSL a chance to rebut. And of course, Dave. ProDance, more than welcome. And I'm a big fan of Dave's and I'd love to hear his version of it. But basically what Chris was, was suggesting was that there's a lot of different heads running in different directions over there. And no, it's hard for everyone to get on the same page. And so I'm, I'm thinking it was probably just more, you know, a lack of, of, um, vision and, and conciseness and congruency than it was
1: malice which is by the way just as unacceptable right. as the malice totally version yeah get you, a little get bit a t- <laughs> get your get your guys act together yeah. like honestly <laughs> it's it's ridiculous yeah. and especially if if ultimately the two people the two groups of people that end up uh being disgruntled are your athletes number one are disgruntled by the way that you're handling them and your yeah. viewers number two You have nothing left after that. It all becomes a smoke show, which I think is what we're kind of identifying. You You know what
0: I've, I've sensed in you, like the last couple of months, maybe, is that you have a very, you have a very sharp knife when it comes, when we discuss the
1: WSL, you, you're coming in with all your fangs out, I've noticed. I don't know. These (laughs) thoughts, these thoughts have accumulated over years. You know what I mean? Like we've been having these conversations for years.
0: I guess I'm the good cop and you're the bad cop.
1: This that's, fine. that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm still I'm just holding as, out hope of a job. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Honestly, I'm the first to praise as well. Like yeah. as soon as something yeah. is great, I'll be the first one to say it, yeah. you know, that's true. And by the way, I'm willing to have these conversations with anybody yeah. I've invited. I mean, like I said, I had Devin Howard last week, we chatted it out and I, how did that go? By the way, I, I, I should to listen test. to that.
0: But, but, did I, I? My gut feeling is, is Devin's like, look, it wasn't really me; it was them. Is that sort of how it went down?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I even said to him, "I go, are you trying to distance yourself right now from the organization?"
0: What did he say to that? That's a great question.
1: He didn't say yes, but he ultimately okay. Specifically, what he said was, "I am responsible for creating the event and the structure of the event and the athletes involved and all that sort of thing. What happens from that point on?" I am not uh, involved in and yeah. he goes with this particular case, they sent me the package three hours before it was going to air. So yeah. I opened my laptop and I clicked play and I watched it and I put together an email and I said all of the issues that I had with it. And it was precisely what everybody, what all the negative feedback became yeah. after the event aired. So they all knew that. And they know that now. And so we're going to make, and he even said, like, we're going to make these um, changes in the future in these directions. And I told him, I go, look, you honestly don't have to even justify to me or the internet or anybody else. And you don't have to distance yourself from the WSL. I think you have got a long enough track record of credibility to where we all get it. And we know, like, for lack of a better metaphor, you're an artist who went to work for a corporation and the corporation you know, wants to leverage your art and your credibility, but they have to meet all these other demands over here. And so you need to kind of work as articulately and effectively as possible to try to get your art to see the light of day in the end. And we get yeah. that. You don't have to justify it. You know? And and Devin does the best Devin. Like I, I think to
0: myself, what would the WSL do if they just got rid of Devin? Like there's nobody better than Devin to do that thing. You know, and I'm thinking right. to myself, who would they get? You know, like, they would probably either go uber, like, competitive tri-fin guy who would just be like, yeah, three to the beach, wear a jersey, nose rides, whatever. They're not really that important. Just do some errors on your longboard. Or they'd go the other extreme and get some uber artsy guy who would just, like, nothing would ever materialize. And so Devin does such a good job of walking the fine line between those two things. That, like, You know what I mean? Like, I agree. In other words, if they were to say – that's not working out. Sorry, Devin. I would say to myself, how can you get rid of Devin Howard? He's the perfect guy for this job.
1: Well, that, that all comes to one conclusion is they have to get out of Devin's way.
0: Exactly.
1: In regard to the WSL or being harsh on the WSL or them offering a rebuttal. So you've had former WSL employees like Chris Morrow, Devin last week, Dave Prodan, we've had on a number of times. Um, (laughs) I invited Eric Logan two or three months ago to discuss many of these things. And he said, yes. And like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would love to chat about that. And, um, I'm busy this weekend, but whatever, I'll get back to you Monday or Tuesday or whatever. And ultimately never followed up in the end. So the opportunity has been offered, you know? Um, but.
0: I saw that Dave got a new job. Did you see that?
1: I did, yeah. I mean, he's still with the WSL, right? Right, but, but right, it's a but new he's title. has got
0: a new title, excuse me. Yeah, his title
1: has changed a bunch of times since we've known him, and it also—it's all equally vague,
0: <laughs> isn't chief it? Str- chief strategist.
1: Yeah, it goes from I mean, senior VP, that mean? Does, does senior does that mean VP that? of global, global chief connections to actually not SVP. Now it's just chief global strategy and communications expert. You know, whatever. So as the
0: new chief strategist for Dave does this put more to me this means (laughs) sadly we can either praise him more or point the finger more at him now because if if he's the chief strategist if all strategy runs through the chief which (laughs) is what it suggests then i'm looking forward to the day when when i can pat dave on the back and go dude you've pulled it off all of these like this myriad of international stuff that you have to deal with and what a great event good good work you know or what a great year yeah and but- i just wonder how much power he has you know like i like i'm on the i was on the board of this one board i, w- I won't mention who it was and we would have these board of director meetings and all of these very smart people would be uh, were on this board with me and we were all making discussions and we would all make suggestions that the board the chairman would bring to the guy who funds this thing and eventually it just came down to the guy who funds it saying yes or no like there was it was really like you know lame duck board of directors
1: well look and i'm what, wondering
0: if it's a lame duck like like does he have to get sign off from somebody or can he bring his strategy and go this is what we're doing you're either doing it or i'm out <laughs> you know well, or does he have to go to him and go this is what i'm suggesting what do you think? And then it gets watered down. And
1: I, I think know. it's I think it's the latter because he's not. He probably doesn't have the um, the team to execute. Like if he just said, "I'm doing this. I want to do this, and I'm going to do this," you would need a team of people underneath you to execute and to deliver the thing. And that's not the way the organization is set up. It's set up for everything to come through a funnel and then be disclosed out to the public, you know? Yeah. And I think what you said about Chris Morrow or his complaint is reflective in Dave Prodan's title, his new title. Is it so vague that it's like, here Dave, we're giving you this promotion, presumably, and responsibility, but it comes with a certain level of handcuffs or systems of check and balances where you have to still go through all of these other methods that you had to go through before,
0: you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know.
1: I have, I have comments from beach grit about the story that was written about Tom Butler. Ricky, Ricky Spanish said, a corporation putting its own interests ahead of everything and everyone else is the rule, not the exception. The WSL clearly follows the rule. And I think that sums it up. No hard 32. feelings, no hard feelings, Tom Butler. This is I mean, what it is.
0: Look, me and uh, or Barton, Barton Lynch and Chris Morrow both spoke on this because I presented this concept to them. And, and basically, at the end of the day, a governing body of a sport should be a nonprofit. Like you can't have an ROI attached to the end of this thing or it just gets weird. You get, you get the Cuervo sur French pro <laughs> basically.
1: Well, is the NBA I mean, nonprofit? Is the NFL? I mean, well, those are all successful.
0: Yeah. Look, and maybe, you know, I, I mean, look, I wouldn't be the first time that I'm ignorant or naive about this, but it just feels like a governing body. I'm not saying that you can't make money, but well, maybe I should just leave it there because I'm really getting into a tr- territory that I'm not too.
1: Uh, well, let me offer you channel bottoms comment from that article. He said, Tom Butler has forgotten the truism that no one gets paid to surf. They get paid to advertise things and sometimes they don't even get paid for that.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good point too. There's, I, you know, with, The increase in the number of surfers around the world in the last 20 years, it means there's been an increase in really smart people who also ride waves. So there's been some, you can find some really great commentary from really smart people, succinct and um, concise and right to the point as you wade through all the other kind of ego BS.
1: Yeah. Um, Stab Magazine posted this really Vanilla article on Jordy Smith. It was actually Morgan Mawson, who I absolutely love as a photographer, a filmmaker and a person interviewing Jordy because they traveled through, uh, I forget where, Indonesia and a couple other places together last year. So then Morgan um, interviews Jordy for a stab and it's hardly worth reading at all. There, It's literally like, tell me your story about growing up. What are your thoughts on competitive surfing? What are your thoughts on surfing non-competitively? Like that is the line of questioning. But I can tie in one of the things that Jordy said into what we're talking about because it made me realize how forced of a fit competitive surfing is. Whether we're talking about the Cuervo Surf Ranch Classic (laughs) or the big wave event at Nazare, like trying to come up with an objective scale for any of these things reduces the expression of each of these things. And so, Jordy, (laughs) this, Jordy's trying to be insightful and he's trying to be profound, but he basically just rehashes the oldest thing that we've been talking about on this podcast for seven years. He says, um, quote, there's so much controversy in surfing, whether it's the surfers, the judges, the spectator, no one can really put a finger on how one guy wins and another loses. It's so subjective. So I thought, why wouldn't we match apples to apples? For instance, Felipe did those two alley-oops at J-Bay a couple years ago. Whereas someone rides away from top to bottom and gets barreled out there off their head and someone else turns like they've never turned before from top to bottom. So who's to say one is better than the other? Who's to say they're all equal? Maybe they're all tens but how do you justify someone winning over the other person? I don't really understand that. So in my mind, I'm thinking, let's start judging, they're judging apples and oranges. I think it would be a lot more clear cut that if you're at Pipeline and you, you're you not supposed to go for an aer- aerial, you're supposed to get barreled. We are only scoring barrels when we go to Pipeline. I think the same should be applied when we go to Karamas. It should be high performance above the lip surfing. And then you go to Jay Bay, and they should say, "Okay, you need to stay on the face. Everyone stays on the face. We want you to see, uh, stay on the face from start to finish. And that way, it could become a lot easier to judge, not only for the judges but for the spectators to identify with. I think that would be a more beneficial way to score somebody. I think he's really onto something. I like that. And what,
0: what the first thing that comes to my mind is there is a sense as an end user, as a consumer of the Billabong, of the Pipeline Masters." you and I know they're going to score the barrel. And there, and there's a sense of relief. I just noticed it now when we, when you were reading that, that I do know when I can go to pipeline, like I can go, okay, I know what they're looking for. You know what I mean? And there's a, a it's sort of a subconscious sense of relief that I get as a, and I'm sure the surfers get too, like, okay, we're going for the barrel today. It's a known thing.
1: So yes. And they, the judge's, score those waves for the barrel already. What Jordy's saying, they already do. And the, the head judge sends out a text message to all of the, the changes day by day, not just event by event, but day yeah. by day. Like, hey, the waves are eight foot and barreling today. We're going to score yeah. barrels higher. But look, this is why I'm saying this commentary from Jordy is so juvenile, is A, they already do that, and then B, you're going to regress surfing, this isn't, this isn't a progressive concept. If two surfers get an identical, there's no identical waves, but let's say we can manufacture an identical wave at pipeline, and there's a barrel and an air section at the end of it. And you drop in, you get a 10-foot barrel, and one surfer kicks out over that end section, and the other surfer does a 360 air over it, you have to score the one that does the 360 <laughs> air higher. They both got a 10-point ride barrel, yeah. Or whatever, an epic barrel, and then the other one did an air. So you have to score the air in that point, you know? And that's what Felipe did in his example at J Bay was if we were limited to our own beliefs, yeah. then we would think Jay Bay can only be surf doing turns.
0: Yeah.
1: Or Margaret River is a left. And then well, the, the classic you know, one was. is
0: the classic one is Bruce Irons won the Eddie at Waimea going left.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so once these extreme athletes and performers do something that breaks, you know, the, the four minute mile or whatever, is it a five minute mile or a four minute mile
0: for you or for me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I forget. <laughs> or jumps over that high bar backwards in the Olympics instead of forwards. Now people could jump two feet higher than they ever did before. Like that's what, what we should is be that aiming at. Do
0: you know what that's called? No. Fosbury flop. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: So Jordy, That's what we're aiming for, is that level of progression, you know? And Jordy clearly knows that because he surfs to that kind of level. But back to my original point was forcing an objective criteria is actually completely counterintuitive. And it's just not even doable because it limits the expression. There's no way that you could design a criteria that allows for the most special part of surfing, which is individual expression.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and and it just you know the whole time as you're talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, surfing is not a sport. No. Any anything that gets subjectively judged isn't a sport. Now it is an athletic endeavor, yep. and even deeper than that is an individual expression. And there probably is a way that we can put some sort of tabulation on individual expression. Uh, but you know, as I've said many, many times, you know, for a sport to be a sport, you have to score your own points. You have to have somebody trying to stop you from scoring your own points. You can't smoke cigarettes while you're doing it, and you can't wear dress trousers.
1: So, so golf
0: is out. Golf is an athletic endeavor. Yep. It's well, a very, very difficult one. Surfing's probably—I mean, surfing and golf together are probably one of you know some of the two most difficult endeavors.
1: There's Athletic no, endeavors. There's honestly not a really a there's no comparable for surfing because if you looked at let's say dance, yeah, they they do score dance or I don't know figure skating in the Olympics or whatever. Those yeah. there's a lot of subjectivity to it. Yeah. But there's definables as well, yeah. and so and they're most importantly is they're on the same pl- playing.
0: Exactly, surface. the format never changes. Like waves are always constantly
1: moving. Exactly, they're yeah. all on ice, and so yeah. rock climbing, you could you could That's measure speed, yeah. you could yeah. measure difficulty of the path. You know, yeah. skateboarding, they're all on the same terrain. There it dirt biking, they're all on the same terrain. There's so in all of those, there's an element of se- subjectivity but there there are hard definables in surfing there's nothing you could say okay who makes it from the top of the point at j bay to the bottom and we're going to time you well each wave is paced differently so timing goes out which wave actually I- that that's a pretty cool
0: one skip fry used to have something like that called the surf marathon we did it here in encinitas along to, in the 80s when we had the flower festival and it was this idea that you you paddle straight out to a buoy and then you catch waves all the way to the end spot. It's a race. Right. And, and it, the idea was it, it sort of the fastest guy is the guy who can read the ocean the best.
1: Yeah. And that, so that's a contest is who can make it from point A to B the fastest, but that's not finding out who the best surfer is. You know, that's a different thing. More, more important. By the way, there's a guy named
0: DA that deserves credit for that surf marathon. He's since passed away,
1: but shout Um, out to DA. (laughs) <laughs> what's the uh what's the flower festival
0: well the city of encinitas when it became a municipality in the 80s it was the fl- it, it was the flower capital of the world i mean we had more poinsettia there are tons there were tons and tons and tons of grow houses here in encinitas and they've since been demolished and turned into you know huge subdivisions beautiful multi-million dollar homes And so eventually it was hard to be the flower capital of the world when you, all of the flower fields were destroyed for homes because it was obviously worth more as a home. And, um, so the flower festival celebrated the fact that Encinitas was the poinsettia capital, the flower festival, the flower capital of the world. Did not know uh, that. Yeah. Wow. So we used to have this thing called the flower festival.
1: Yeah. I could have guessed what the flower festival was, I would have been pretty close, but I didn't know all of that history. Yeah. Um, Well, at any rate, I think we're gonna continue to have this conversation and I'll continue to be cynical of the WSL uh, because of this exact thing. Let me
0: tell you that um, we're in a La Nina, right? Um, It looks like according to the experts, we're gonna be in a La Nina through the winter and probably into the spring. Um, David, for the Northeast, for you and I, Northeast Pacific, what exactly does this mean? And in general terms, it means there's a drier air mass over the equatorial regions. And a drier air mass means there's not as much fuel for low pressures to form for storm generation to occur, which of course creates fetch. Which creates swell, which eventually creates breaking waves at your beach. So, with less fuel, this means less waves for you and I. Now, in addition, specifically to the Northeast Pacific, a generally a really static North, uh, a static North Pacific high pressure sets in, and it basically is a big blob of high pressure, sort of just off of the California and Washington. Oregon coastline, and the jet stream goes above that high pressure and goes up into Alaska and drops down into mainland Montana and Canada and all of that. And so, because it goes above this high pressure, the storms that the basically the jet stream um, is sort of like a um, a track for where the storms will go. Thirty thousand foot level winds push the storms in certain areas. So the storms all go above us, which means the storms that would generate waves go onto basically a land a land mass and, and drop snow. Um, now occasionally what happens with La Niña, so that basically means Southern California is screwed, right? We don't we're not set up for, for waves because of that static high pressure. Occasionally that jet stream will split and we will get western Westerly formed storms which are great for Southern California, but that's kind of rare during La Nina But it usually does happen and I can remember some really you know basically La Nina years are like one or two really insane West swells and then that high-pressure reforms and we're we're getting nothing for a long time so uh, Generally speaking from point conception south. It's kind of a bad situation, but there will be some North Pacific storms that make their way uh, into Southern California, but not a, not the greatest setup, but a really good setup for snowboarding.
1: Mm. Uh, so, the shortest definition of La Nina is that dry air over the equatorial region.
0: Well, that sets look, off. I'm butchering else? it. I'm sure some experts going to go. You're wrong. <laughs> Somebody's well, does, typing an email right now.
1: Does but that that's mean- the
0: general view. Is that because? Like so, El Ninos have this um, equatorial. It's it's an anomaly where the warm water moves from uh, east to west, and it creates a lot of fuel. There's a and that bubbles up to the top, and you get those really super hot. top level water temperatures which create fuel and humidity which help form these low pressures Got it. when it's cooler along the top ridge of water say like the top six inches of water there's not as much humid air it's a little drier so it just doesn't create uh, the fuel necessary for low
1: pressures to form i almost understand i've never known those things before
0: well it's again i probably am wrong (laughs) well i just (laughs) i think i got it right
1: No, I just remember when I was a kid, like first really getting into surfing as a teenager, we had an El Nino year and it was like in the news. And I I just, in my head, I thought that was unique to that year. I didn't know it was something that could happen in the future again. So I just thought, oh, that one year we had El Nino, that was like saying the one year where we had, I don't know what, um, you know, the Northridge earthquake or something like that. Like it has its own name. Yeah. Uh, but we certainly have la nina a lot more than we have el nino yeah
0: again you know el nino is warm water that travels what happens is there's normally we have trade winds right that go east to west well in el nino years there's these anomalous west to east winds which push warm water towards basically galapagos that water because of those winds then goes underneath the sea surface like below 6 inches and flows back towards the western pacific and bubbles to the surface and there's this like cycle of anomalous wind and that's the cycle that makes all of these really hot sea surface temperatures they go oh we got hot sea surface temperatures along the equator it looks like we're going to get an el nino and again that humidity that's created by really warm sea temperatures helps fuel these low-pressure systems that then move up into our region and create really powerful west-northwest storms. And it breaks and a lot of it. I mean, it's there's much more to it than that, but um, there's this thing called the um, the uh, Madden-Julian Oscillation. There's a bunch of deeper I remember stuff. I that. But anyway.
1: Awesome. Um, I think I got it right. No. Well, I Whether or not it's all 100% correct, I understand it a lot more. Um, follow up. Yeah. You. What happened with the dude, the manic dude in the lineup, did you ever follow up with him and uh, reach out?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, um, I did not follow up with him, Okay. but somebody I talked, somebody that was involved in that situation said that he, re- he heard from the guy and he, the guy was like super apologetic and you know, basically sort of admitted to having an episode for one reason or another and it wouldn't happen again.
1: Do we have any, the, yeah. I mean, do we have any idea if he's gotten help or anything like that?
0: I no. Don't the know. answers no.
1: All right. Bummer. Yeah. Scary. Um, so my must see moment is uh, Dane Reynolds latest film. It's an ode to his brother, his older brother, Breck. Did you watch this or read it?
0: I saw it on Instagram. I didn't know who Breck was, but I saw the, um, I read some of what he wrote. It was obvious that this was somebody that was very close to Dane Reynolds.
1: Um, it's well worth reading. And then it's worth watching as well. So a few, six months ago, maybe he started a website called chapter 11.tv. It's actually yeah. CH one, TV. If you want to go to that and he's making, um, it's kind of a rebirth of his old Marine layer com. I loved it instantly. It's uh, surfing mainly filmed around his home in Ventura with a bunch of the local kids. Uh, and it's raw and it's like low fidelity and it's great. And it, I remember saying, I feel like I said it to you even. Um, I said, the, we'll see how long it lasts. Basically. Like, look, Dane has a clothing brand. He's got a wife, he's got a bunch of kids. We see people start blogs or certainly we saw people starting podcasts in COVID. It's like, okay, that's fine. I'll talk to you in a year when you have 40 episodes under your belt, you know, like, and I wish you the best of luck, but I'm not going to like start waiting for every episode because it might be, it might go away. Yeah. And so Dane pretty consistently put out four episodes. And then he went dormant for the last two or three months. And I was holding my, biting my tongue, not calling him out publicly on the podcast about it. Like just, I thought I'll let it, I'll see where this all goes. Well, now that he released episode five, I'm glad that I didn't say anything because he's been going through some real hardship, you know? And ultimately what he wrote was really, really good and very relatable. And it kind of reminded me about your friend, or not your friend, but that manic episode in the lineup. And we all have friends that are going through stuff. And so what he does is he details, well, he actually starts by saying he was somewhere with his kids and his kids were being noisy and his mom was calling him. And so he kept not answering his mom's call. And eventually he gets a text from his dad saying, Hey, you need to call us back immediately. So he calls his mom and his mom says, Hey, your older brother Breck is dead. So then Dane backs backs up and he explains growing up with Breck. And as an older brother, he looks up to him through their whole life. He was five years older than Dane, but he started getting into trouble. He was always pretty, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Um, He was a... He
0: he experimented.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well mischievous. He was, he was, he was always a, mischievous okay. is the word. From a young age. And then like from that mischievousness ends up then like sneaking out of the house. And then at a certain point it's getting returned to the house by the cops at 3 a.m. And then it's experimenting with weed and then it's experimenting with other stuff. And then he has a kid when he's 18. So Dane is explaining all of it and like Dane's consternation through it all of wanting to look up to his brother, but also being disappointed by his brother. But then when his brother's there, it's like, he's so good, you know, and he's great and he's the best storyteller. And he's always, when he's not on a bender, he's always at the beach surfing. And so that's what they had in common. And um, he had, Dane talks about having to cut his brother out at a certain point because you know, he's on a bender and he has nowhere to live. So he wants to come live with Dane. Hey, can I stay with you for a couple of months? But Dane's wife is pregnant with twins. So Dane has to say no, but then that creates a rift and they don't talk for six months or whatever. So all of this is so highly relatable and Dane does a great job communicating it. Yeah. But ultimately um, Breck gets into surfing the last year surfing a lot. And so he's showing up at the beach with Dane and Dane's filmer, Minnie is filming a bunch of Breck's waves. So now that Breck has passed away, Dane put together an edit, an 11 minute edit with a bunch of Breck's footage mixed with Dane's footage mixed with all the local surfers into this video. And there's music. It's like one of Dane's normal videos, but he also lays in a bunch of voicemails that he had received and that friends had received from Breck that they had saved for whatever reason. So you get to hear Breck's, you know like hey bro i just found this free whatever on craigslist i was wondering if you want some of it call me back like random stuff like that
0: yeah yeah.
1: um not that's not even nefarious and it's not even yeah it's just uh, just sheds light on his on who he is on a person Yeah. yeah yeah a real like portrait of a person so i think it's beautiful it's great to read it's great to watch it's raw it's authentic like I hate to even create a fiscal connection to this, but in this day and age where everybody's trying to sell themselves, like honestly, authenticity is what matters. Whether it's layered into superfoods or anything, like if it's authentic, people buy it. And Dane's not even selling anything, but he endears us to him because he's raw and he's authentic. And him yeah. sharing this is a brutal yeah. thing to share. You
0: know? Yeah, I agree. I think some of Dane's best stuff might not even be a surfing like some of the stuff that i see from him that he's just he when he does speak like and it's kind of rare but when he does it's super authentic and and very much from the heart like yeah you know the situation with quicksilver or um, this situation with his brother and um even his appearances on on his wife's instagram are just so like um he's just Charming, there's some charm there and 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 again this has nothing to do with his frontside hack.
1: Exactly Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I'll give you one quote from what Dane wrote It was towards the end He talked about surfing with Breck and he said quote, I remember a dude on a seven-foot egg Telling Breck, uh, excuse me. I don't want to cause any problems, but you snaked me on my last wave Breck belted out the hugest ha Instantly burning another dude on the egg shape. Uh, Instantly burning another dude. And then the egg shape guy went over and consoled the new victim and said, I tried to tell him that that's not cool, but he just laughed at me. (laughs) How funny is that?
0: Surfers are the worst. I don't know if that's funny. I'm not so so sure that's funny. It's it's hilarious.
1: Somebody going, uh, excuse me, I don't want to cause any problems, but you snaked me on my last wave. (laughs) Like, what do you expect from that? An apology? Like... A I don't know the next wave. Yeah. Dane,
0: Dane. I don't know the I, situation, but
1: and Dane, I'm not,
0: I shouldn't speak because Lord
1: knows. Dane prior to Hypocrisy. that, had said, Dane said prior to that, if they surf together, Dane's wave count would get cut in half. He goes, Breck burned me on every single wave. Like he just oh went. Off <laughs> so, anyways, how did he pass away? Memory. How did he die? Nobody said they didn't say anything. That's not <laughs> good. Um, Scott, what are you doing for Halloween?
0: Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I'm 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 so ecstatic that we don't have to do anything for Halloween. Uh, Just gonna like Halloween's on a Saturday night, so I imagine my wife is really into it. Like she loves Halloween, and um, so she'll probably attend to the door, to the front door. There's a bunch of children in our neighborhood, which is great we love the kids and our neighborhood gets into Halloween for the most part it's a very small little neighborhood but and um, so I'm probably just gonna like watch Netflix or something (laughs) I don't don't know is your wife dressing up no I don't think she'll dress up she I doubt it
1: Uh, did she force you to dress up when your kids were younger and all that
0: yeah well she didn't force me but um, you know it was one of those things where somebody had to stay home and man the door, so she would take the children out and I would man the door, and invariably I would like put the bowl of candy out front with a little sign that's like "just take one, be kind" or something, and then lock the door and turn the lights out. <laughs> and my wife would come home and be like, "What's going on? How come you're not answering the front door?" You know, and I'd be like, "Well, there was a football game on, and I was right. watching the World Series, and exactly. you know, all sorts of reasons."
1: All the candy disappeared with the very first group of kids that came by.
0: It could. It could.
1: Are your kids uh, into it? Well, my
0: kids are adults, right? So, yeah. I mean, when you're you're 22 years old, you're into it for different reasons. (laughs) 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 It's just an excuse to go have a good time. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. What are you doing? Are you dressing Sophie up?
1: Uh, Yeah. So we have two parties
0: got to get some deer antlers for that dog
1: she already looks like a black panther dude like it's that's what we always refer to her as because she kind of stalks around the house uh let me see her grab her sophie come here she's on the bed sleeping sophia come uh side note Is she come is she coming i can't even No, i can't hear her. (laughs) what kind of training are you doing here she is See, I said she's like she, a panther. That, she was wh-
0: quiet. Why don't you give her a treat right now and she should give, tell her what a good girl she is?
1: Ugh, I don't have a treat for her.
0: Well, you got to at least praise her for showing up.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, I'll try to put her on the table. <laughs> she's getting too big to go on the table.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> so, she's like, what are you doing to me? She does not want to be where she is right now.
1: I have to keep talking so that the Zoom camera puts me on instead of you, so I'm just going to vamp, but... We got ousted from the dog park two days ago. For what? Bad behavior of Sophie. So uh. like we didn't get ousted, but we honestly got mean-girled. like uh. like the other dog owners with the poofy little first of all, it's Newport Beach. And so it. <laughs> <does that> mean? <laughs> it means everybody has like dogs that they carry in a purse uh. um, that they probably bought from a breeder that they spent 5,000 bucks on, you know. and yeah. anyways, all these little sissy dogs. <laughs> and, and then Sophia's a rough house and she's a puppy. Look, yeah. she's a four month old puppy and we didn't know it's not okay for your dog to bite other dogs. <laughs> oh yeah, that's kind of a bad
0: thing. Fighting I is didn't bad. know.
1: I didn't know because she's always been so small and a puppy that it was playful. But yeah. now she's getting to the point where she's actually like big and nipping. Yeah. And honestly she doesn't. She's never drawn. Does she blood. have a
0: soft mouth? In other words,
1: if you yeah. put your hand
0: in her mouth right now, she.
1: She won't even bite it because I've told her not to so many times. But yeah, she does have a soft mouth and she's never drawn blood and she has zero aggression. She just likes to rough house and she's gotten big enough to where the rough housing is um, killing other dogs. (laughs) The dogs. The other thing is most of the dogs don't really care. It's the owners that freak out. They're just like, Oh, your dog's being too rough, you know? And so there's a couple of dogs that are, um, love roughhousing with her, and yeah. we're thinking about taking over the dog park. We're gonna get those dogs together. Be like, yeah, black labs matter. Come in there, start protesting, and just be <laughs> like, this is our park now. Anybody who doesn't want to play, go to the periphery. Otherwise, <laughs> oh my god, the roughhouses are staying in the middle.
0: So that's what. Uh, that's fun. She looks great. She is. She great, looks yeah. really happy. Yeah. Um, what confused. happens if? When somebody comes up to you and goes, "Hey, your dog's playing too rough," can you ever just go, "Well, your dog's not playing rough enough"?
1: Like, who sets the bar? Uh, It's funny. So I've been thinking through all of those exercises, and I'd always be nice. I would always be like, "I know, I know, no, no, I know,
0: I know." I'd always be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." no know.
1: and she's super sophie is super responsive too so i would just tell her like snap my fingers at her and tell her hey leave him alone and she will and there's always some other dog nearby that's willing to yeah. get into a row with her. yeah so all right. right
0: well good well so sophie is my mussy moment we just got a great look at her so
1: and she's also my duke Kanamoko. your dog and your dog's name is duke
0: well, now Duke's gone. Oh, Duke, Duke oh, has Duke. passed. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Easy,
1: pal. <laughs> of subject.
0: No, it's all good. Anyway, until next time, adios and aloha.
2: Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind.